All right, everybody, welcome to Not Brainstorms. Today we have Adam Cramsey. I've had Adam on the podcast before. Um, Adam was my roommate freshman year and uh, up until COVID. Um, and he it just graduated uh, from the CMA department at Biola and is currently working on a short film. Short film? Mm -hmm. Well, titled uh, it's Tables. a pilot episode. But oh, okay, yes. it's a pilot episode. My apologies. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to learn a lot today. Um, <laughs> there you go. So, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Um, how have you been? Good. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, post grad is kind of a is an interesting world to be in. So, it's funny because the most interesting things I'm doing are the same kind of things I was doing when I was in school. But right. now I also need to make money. So <laughs> it's just the it's difficulty has changed. All right. Okay. Te technical difficulties. We're back um, right off the bat. But uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, you're talking about the difficulty of post-grad life because you have to um, make money as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of that like in film school, it's really easy to find work because you're doing it for free. So you're mm -hmm. doing people favors, but suddenly the dynamic switches where, um, the, like someone giving you the work is the favor because you're getting paid. Yeah. Um, which is usually not that hard, but is pretty hard right now because everybody and their mom is striking. So that's yeah, not great. True. <laughs> so it's interesting. I'm I'm doing fine. Like I'm finding work, but it's definitely like in, uh, not the most ideal time to be a recently graduated filmmaker. Does that come that um, do the effects of that like come all the way down to kind of like the beginner like intro introduce like you know base level like filmmakers kind of? Yeah, um, I I will say I've never been a recently graduated filmmaker before. So I can't right. say that I can compare it to how much work I was getting before, mm -hmm. but I will say that like there is trickle down effects because like a lot of the people that, um, the people that are working those big union jobs when they're striking, it can shut down some of those middle tier productions. Um, so like, for example, right now, SAG is striking, which, which is the Screen Actors Guild. And mm -hmm. um, SAG actors work on all sorts of projects, not just like the biggest ones, but even some of the student projects I was on at school had SAG actors on them. And so those like indie productions that had SAG actors might not be going on. And the crew members from those SAG productions are probably working other things, other gigs that maybe I would have been um a candidate to work on so right. it's definitely not the only reason it's hard to find work like i'm not the first student to graduate with a film degree and not be working every day for, yeah. <laughs> within the first couple of months but i think it's probably contributing at least somewhat to okay the the overall temperature of the industry and you're saying the basically like what was the mid-tier um, production, like actors and um, writers and stuff like that, they're kind of getting moved down to smaller projects um, because they can't yeah, find the, 
probably more so the support crew roles because the okay. actors like if you're a sag actor you have to strike but let's say gotcha. you were going to be the camera assistant on a production that had a sag actor and that gets canceled now you're looking for something to fill your time with and so got it. you might go down to like working on smaller lower budget projects or smaller lower budget commercials and those might have been the kind of things that they would be like oh you're a college student so you're affordable and you're relatively knowledgeable yeah but um, i'm still i'm still getting some work but i'm doing less like traditional production and more okay. like different stuff with as far as work goes i'm still making stuff with my peers which is uh Mildenk is one of those where mm -hmm. it's kind of like you know just because we finished college doesn't mean we need to stop making things that we want to make Definitely. so yeah. do you think that the so obviously the strikes are you know bad for the corporations and the the systems in place that have already been making the films is it do you think it encourages some of that like smaller um you know more um like kind of what like what you're doing um where it's not yeah. within the system does it encourage that type of filmmaking hmm probably i i would say that like the unions set the tone for the industry overall so union regulations are more or less regarded as industry standard, not necessarily union rates, but union like uh, requirements mm -hmm. tend to kind of like trickle down at least in part to lower production. Um, and so the strikes even to non-union people do matter because they're creating the conditions that the industry deems as standard for workers. Got it. Um, so like, uh, one of the things that maybe is probably not as big of a thing right now, but last year was kind of something that was being talked about a lot is crew members were reevaluating the whole like uh, turnaround time because most productions are working at least 10 to 12 hour production days um, and sometimes more than that. And so there was a lot of talk about like, how long do people need to, get home before they can be called back to production the next day. Um, and the industry standard has kind of been 12 hours, but it wasn't actually technically mandated. So there were a lot of productions that were doing less than 12 hour turnaround. Mm -hmm. And like in LA, if you're driving two hours on either end of your thing, yeah. it's like less than 12 hour turnaround can be a really like literally dangerous. Yeah. Um, so there are some things like that, where if the union strike and get certain like rates set as standard and certain like workability things set as standard, that will affect outside the unions, uh, to some degree, obviously people aren't like forced to follow them, but like they are, if it's a union project, but right. as far as like encouraging people to avoid the system or like not work in the traditional space i don't i haven't heard a lot of filmmakers say that um specifically but i will say that 
I even just noticing in myself and um, even just like a few like small conversations with peers where we kind of look at the temperature of things and it makes me think like, are there alternative ways to do this thing that I love yeah. um, without having to play the game like this? Um, and it's definitely interesting like a uh, one of the things that i've been like watching really closely is the like migration of traditional filmmakers to youtube and seeing yeah. like not just like people who like making videos deciding they don't want to be directors and going to youtube that that's been happening forever yeah and then they make like cool vlogs with good storytelling but they're not making films they're making videos um there's been in the last couple of years, there's been a few filmmakers I've seen who are like straight up like cinematographers who make commercials and ads and short films. And they start doing like a YouTube channel, like side hustle or something like that. Um, and a couple of them have funded their own movies from that, um, from the audience that they've gathered on YouTube. And that's become really tempting to me in the last couple of years where I'm like, okay, yeah. how can I, uh, how, how could I create something? I create some sort of like day job out of YouTube that really just bankrolls the things that I'm passionate about Yeah. versus making a day job out of production productions that aren't exciting and then using those to bankroll the productions i'm excited about yeah um because that also just gives you a lot of freedom to not live in la if you don't want to live in la that gives you freedom yeah. to um like only take the gigs that are exciting or interesting and then you don't have to like make a commercial for whatever random company or things like that but yeah it's not it, at least for me, it hasn't made me be like immediately saying, I don't want to be a part of this system, but it has made me wonder like, um, are there other roads that I can like, you know, check out and see how they compare? Um, because it's not like maybe as infallible as a, of a system as, yeah maybe uh, maybe i used to think <laughs> but <laughs> yeah um your your comment on like the youtube you know side hustle kind of idea reminded me of mm -hmm. my conversation with cole um that i had recently okay. um cole one of the things, yeah one okay, of the things he said was that a lot of times for our creatives or filmmakers there's a like you do supply work and you do demand work and hmm. that was kind of his language around like you do something it's most of the time you do stuff that other people need you to do. And then yes, every once in a while you get the opportunity to demand other things from other people to do the kind of work that you want to do, um, mm -hmm. which I thought, I thought that was, um, you know, a succinct way of putting that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you like, if you're thinking about, um, a, like this YouTube channel as um, supply work, basically. Have you thought about like what goes into that? Is there anyone you kind of look up to? Um, that yeah. Kind of thing? So the key to 
to the the whole system there is it, it definitely is supply work mm -hmm. um but it is it's basically crafting a thing that's interesting enough that i won't hate doing it yeah but um specifically is designed to work well with advertisers because that's like how monetization on youtube works and so um if i just made short films with my friends and posted the short films to youtube that's not advertiser friendly and it's not mm -hmm. audience friendly like nobody goes on youtube and types in like short film and then just like yeah. scrolls through and like clicks on whatever they are so they have to be like content that is designed to work with advertisers so the the i think the person that i'm like admiring the most the way that they're doing this on youtube his name is danny gerberts and um he he wanted to make a short or a, a feature film so like a full length movie um and so he did it he did a couple mix things he didn't completely fund it from youtube but he at least did a percentage of it from youtube so what he did is he um he made this like indie feature and sold ad campaigns on the behind the scenes documentary so he released five youtube videos about the making of his film and he sold ad spots in those youtube videos to different companies so one of them was uh uh not um milano which is like a company that it's kind of like notion they have like aesthetic looking boards so he like made the video about how they like did pre-production for the film and he like showed his mood board that he made mm -hmm. in milano and so the thing that he was passionate about doing was making the movie but the thing that brought in the money was him explaining how he made the movie yeah and so rather than his day job being working on someone else's movie so that he can make enough money to save up to fund his own movie his day job was making his movie and then just sitting down and being like this is how i made my movie yeah and it's this like interesting thing of saying like okay everyone in the industry is working gigs that they don't want to do or that they don't like that much to make money some people are only doing that and then some people are doing that and um funding their own passion projects right but what does it look like to do youtube as the as the hustle to make money and do and still make real movies yeah for yourself yeah so so you say you're tempted to do that option what's the like percentage chance that you're like this is the way i go oh okay so there's a high percentage chance that i'm involved in something like this yeah um but i despise editing with all my heart and soul uh-huh uh -huh. and you like making youtube channel is like really high percentage of editing <laughs> yeah. um so uh i've been uh, i have a really good friend aaron margosian um and ben delsisian aaron is the director of mildank fables okay um, and then ben is uh one of the producers for that film they're starting a production company um it's technically started but it's kind of still in the ground phases but um 
one of the things that I'm pushing for, because uh, I've kind of been at the table, the early conversations on how they want to run the production company. And one of the things I've said is like, there's some real strength in numbers. And so I'm hoping that a staple or like a wing of their production company is saying like, let's keep what we've been doing, what we've been doing in film school of making films or things that we think are exciting or passionate, but let's just find somebody who will come to production and film the behind the scenes. And then we can ah. start a similar YouTube thing, but it'd be a group effort rather right. than just like me creating for myself. Um, because I'm really good at filming videos. I just don't ever edit them because I hate <laughs> editing so much. Yeah, yeah it's understandable. Um, so yeah, I, I could foresee myself doing it on my own in the future. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I will pr like press down that road, but it would take some like really firm resolve and aiming towards the goal. And then like, as soon as I was making any profit, I would probably turn around and hire an editor. Cause I just, yeah. <laughs> I don't like the editing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it would be a little ways away from being a lucrative endeavor for me, but I know like when you start down that road, you're probably like at least three to five years away from turning meaningful profit. And so that's where I'm kind of like, I'm going to have to edit for like five years. Yeah. before I can hire someone to edit. <laughs> I hate that. So if I can, if I can talk a bunch of uh, other filmmakers into doing it with me, right. so I, I don't have to edit, basically. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. There's no, uh, other people are a valuable resource for sure. Yeah, right. Which <laughs> is, is unique in YouTube. Like YouTube tends to be a, a big like lone wolf thing. Yeah. Um, and there are some negative effects of doing that in a group because like then i don't lose location freedom because like if i make a youtube channel with other people and then i want to move like yeah i just can't like i i mean i guess i technically could but it would be a, like there's at least some accountability there um so it does lose some of its magic but it retains the magic of me not needing to edit so <laughs> which is the most important kind <laughs> which is apparently the most important because i don't have a youtube channel right now <laughs> right right <laughs> um all right so that's we're, we're dreaming a little bit right now although you say it's a mm -hmm. high percentage so we'll wait for that that youtube channel to drop uh yeah right <laughs> what are you doing um right now as kind of a describe your um your supply right now and then we'll get into mm -hmm. demand um particularly milldank yeah okay so uh supply right now i've got a, i've got two and a half primary pillars of income at the moment um so the main one is a company called uh vsync um it's like a parent company. You probably, if you were to wander around your house, you might own a couple of products that they <laughs> create. Um, but it's eTech City, um, Lavoie and Kasori are like the three brands that are under VSync. So uh, eTech makes everything under the sun, but like the <laughs> primary things you'd see are like, uh, like bathroom scales or like food scales. Um, but they make a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, and then Kasori is like their food related products. So like if you have like an air fryer, 
or um uh like a kettle like like the electric kettles there's like a decent chance that it's a kasori one um and then lavoit makes like air purifiers um or humidifiers or things like that so um it's kind of fun for me when i like walk around people's houses i'm like eh, i know those yeah. guys are like i shot yeah. an ad for those <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but my my good friend Graham, who would be a great person to have on your podcast, by the way, Graham okay. Skinner, um, he uh, was working full time at eTech or at VSync for right after he he graduated, and he moved on to working full time at the Salvation Army, who apparently has like a super cool documentary branch of their company. It's, <laughs> I was like, you're working I've never seen a salvation army documentary before apparently but. they're awesome i don't know <laughs> i need to find some now because i was like well, you're working where graham and he's like, super cool <laughs> anyway um but uh yeah so i i've been contracting with them as a photographer and a cinematographer so it'll be like uh someone on the marketing team will say that they have you know x new product and they need you know, videos for this platform or this type. So yeah, um, it's good. It's definitely, um, I'm doing a lot more directing than I prefer, Okay, which is cause they're kind of the way they do things is they have like a director cinematographer, like one person doing kind of both. And like, I will say it's not very advanced directing. Like it's a model being like, press that button and smile and so it's it's definitely not like i'm not you know directing deep emotional depth but yeah. i will say that like that part of the job is really taxing for me like mm. having to make all those decisions about what's the best way to show the product and like how does the like how can what feels natural or not a natural for the actor to do like i've been doing so much like just straight cinematography of like, how does it look? How does the camera move? How's the lighting and the angle? And so doing a like mixing in even really basic directing in there is just like not a mode that my brain likes, or right. at least that's not very well tuned. Yeah. So that's been probably the most challenging part of it. And then the other pillar has been weddings. Mm -hmm. um i'm like filming some weddings um video as the primary shooter i'm second shooting which is like basically just being an assistant uh, i did i've done a wedding second shooting video recently and that hopefully will turn into some more work and then mm -hmm. um, i'm also doing some photos uh mostly second shooting for my fiance claire right um because she's a baller wedding photographer and realized <laughs> like a couple weeks ago that she was hiring second shooters, but like I'm broke. So she was like, right. Oh, I can just hire you to second shoot. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm actually doing all three of those things this week. I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm shooting, I'm doing a photo shoot with eTech tomorrow and um, a wedding video on Friday and then driving back down to LA to second shoot photo for Claire on Saturday. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, those have kind of been my main pillars, those two things, weddings and, and, um, 
weddings and the commercial stuff. And then I have like a little bit of mixed in other stuff. I've done some work with Zach King in the past, like filming his social media uh-huh. stuff. Uh, I, it's been slow right now. So, um, but those kind of seem to come in waves where it'll be like, they won't ask me for anything for a while. And then they'll ask me a lot. So yeah. I'm not totally sure if that'll come back around, but right. Um, that's been some of my work. And then, um, I've also do like every once in a while, I'll get a call from someone. They're like, Hey, we asked so-and-so who told us that you are a good AC. Do you want to come like pull focus on this film? So I've had some of that stuff come through and then get canceled or not work out. But yeah, um, it's like, hopefully that some more of that will pick up. So yeah, that's mostly my, uh, that's my supply. Is right. the correct terminology? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, that sounds like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like three different jobs, all different places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you think that that's true for probably most of your colleagues? Yeah, I will say so. I'm, yes. Uh, in most freelancers have kind of like relatively diverse stuff, but I, I took stock like a couple weeks ago cause I was feeling a little like, geez, like this is not going so well. And I, I took stock and I was thinking about like all the people, my like people who graduated when we were freshmen, like what they were up to right after they graduated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty much, I'm, I think I'm doing mostly the same thing as like yeah, all those people. I'm kind of, yeah. the market wasn't great. Like for them, it was a pandemic. For us, it strikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they were working at E-Tech. <laughs> and then they were doing some wedding videos and they were still making stuff with their buddies from film school. I was like, right. I'm doing that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So how, how much of that stuff um, would you say was like networking to get there versus mm-hmm. just like doing research and like applying? Um, all of it was networking. Okay. Um, so like, obviously, I mean, if you want to count, um, being engaged as networking all that work is coming from from like some of the wedding works coming from my fiance right um and then a lot of the wedding videos like you know you're getting married i'm i'm getting married like this is the time where all the people we went to college with are getting married yeah um so like for weddings i'm not really like there's not like industry networking although one of the gigs i did get from somebody i worked with for a while and then he she like this girl asked him if he knew anybody who could help film weddings and he was like actually adam can anyway so that some of that's networking the e-tech thing um was networking um where like graham and i have been peers at the program for a while and then graham left the job and basically just called me and said like hey i'm leaving and i recommended you yeah and so um that's kind of been it was like me reaching out to them and saying like hey like I'm available and interested and that kind of like turned into some work, but it was like with Graham's endorsement. Totally. Um, and then hopefully where the networking will really come into play is more of that like industry work, uh, like day playing as an assistant, a camera assistant or, um, on the GE department, which like I have connections with people who are working but they haven't really like turned into work for me yet right um so i'm hoping that's like really where the networking will shine um at some point 
I have not like applied for any jobs. I've not filled out a yeah. job application. <laughs> yeah. That's you're fortunate. Uh, yeah, because I'll, I'll take a, a brief moment to share like advice for anybody who's listening is like network. Don't apply on like LinkedIn or indeed, because I've done that for like probably two and a half years of just like, just applying to internships, jobs, like, at first it was inter, uh, engineering stuff. And now it's just like kind of, you know, that and whatever. Um, but the, every job I've had for the past, uh, like two, two and a half years has been, I knew somebody <laughs> and they got me, you know, I, I got the job through somebody. Um, so I think sometimes it's tempting to like just apply to jobs um, I know in the film industry, it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't really work like that, but for other like fields, make connections, super important. And Cole said the same thing. Like a lot of Cole's work came from, he just like met random people and that's just how it works. So that's my two yeah. cents. <laughs> that's actually, it's funny you say that. Cause that's like, I've, I've been noticing that more and more where I was like, I was so easy to work on stuff in film school. Why is it so much harder now? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I just don't go to the class with the people I need to meet. And exactly. so it's like, it's literally the same exact game. It's just that like, I have to meet people out there and not just like people in class. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's like 99% networking Yeah. or like your friend who's good at networking, who really yeah. likes you or something. <laughs> you just follow them around wherever yeah, they go. <laughs> <laughs> I do think yeah. that's part of the value of Biola, like just in particular Biola Film School as a, you know, I'm an outsider looking in, but um, it seems like it teaches you the networking in the school early on, gives you those connections for after, and then also prepares you to, um, you know, go and do the same thing, um, outside of the school network as well. Yeah. It's definitely a strength of the program. Um, it is like really helpful. Like it's, it does kind of feel like we're all in this together a little bit, or like I have kind of like my main cohort of peers and, um, like they'll text me and be like, Hey, I can't take this gig. Do you want it? And that's, right. Um, that's been really nice. And it, I think it's kind of encouraging because there's like a list of people where I'm like, if this person like suddenly makes a sick connection and they're working all the time, like they'll crew me like that'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've always joked with some of my friends, I'm like, we don't all need to make it just one of us. needs right. to make it. <laughs> That's real though. It's kind of real. <laughs> yeah. But that hasn't, I mean, obviously it's, a lot different for what you're looking to do, but I, it's interesting that you said like you're looking, you're finding networking to be the most important. Cause I would usually assume that more traditional industries, you can just apply. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Has that been like consistently through, like, have you even had professors telling you that, or is that just something you're learning the, like the hard way? So the caveat would be, I don't have, I'm probably underqualified for some of the jobs I'm applying for and overqualified for others. So there aren't with a, I have a physical science degree, which is basically like physics and chemistry. Um, and I have like a year of work as an engineer on my resume. 
but those two things together don't, I don't know if those look like they qualify me for most engineering positions, but then they overqualify me for like literally any other job that's like, like, um, you know, wouldn't require a degree basically. Yeah. Um, and so I think on paper when I'm like submitting a resume to most places, just like virtually, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, but then, so like my, I got an internship last summer with, um, a chemical manufacturing company. And I, that's the engineering position I worked for, for a year. Um, and that job I got just because Josh Jackson was working there and they had an open spot and he's like, okay, I know somebody. And so at the, and then you go in and you like, you meet the, um, you know, the, whoever the, the boss is basically. And it's a lot easier to make a good impression in person. So, um, so that, that's an example. And then the job I have now, which is not anything like, you know, really serious I got because I was like a, a regular customer at the store. And so like, I was on the email list and they emailed out a thing and I went in and dropped off my resume. And so it was like, you know, and I've probably applied to like two or 300, you know, indeed and LinkedIn jobs in the last, uh, two years and they just don't go anywhere. Wow. Uh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so that's, that's from with, from somebody with a STEM degree which in theory, right, it's, you know, supposed to be easy to find jobs, but that's also with a weird STEM degree. And also like, I think, I think there's still some weird stuff going on with like post COVID and like our, our people, I think it's just all over the place, but networking has like led to real, you know, opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's get to the, your, your demand side, your creative side. Um, mm -hmm. so you're fortunate enough to have, you know, some connections with, um, people from Iola still who are living in the area, Aaron, and, um, it looked like, um, so I know you're with Nathan, um, mm -hmm. who else is on that, that crew for Mildank? Yeah. So, um, as far as like department heads go, which would be like your your primary creative contributors, um, the director's Aaron, who, um, is kind of, this is his thesis film, his passion project. So, um, but then Nathan Johnson and Josh Lovata are the two writers. Um, Nathan's one of my housemates. Um, and then, um, Ben Del Sissian, Kat Baggio, Cameron Chi, and then Josh Lovata and Kate Kringle, we have like a crazy producer team. Okay. Um, they're varying degrees of creative involvement, but they're just kind of like the, the overlords They're I think in our funny promo video, they're like, uh, witches or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they're like organizing and making sure everything stays on track and a bunch of stuff that I don't worry about or <laughs> worried about by them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, Aaron talked Lauren Good into being the production designer, which was like, I think there was an audible cheer um, 
from every department head when we heard Lauren was on because she's she's wonderful. Um, she was we kind of all started working together on her film uh, Everflowing, and so yeah, um, we were really excited that she agreed to uh, do the production design for this project. Um, and then I'm the cinematographer, so that's um, how I'm contributing. And then we have like a whole bunch of other crew members. We pretty much crewed the whole film already because all of the department heads have like really solid people we work with all the time. And so it was like most films are like struggling to crew up and we already like we're fully crewed. We were at, like, nice. my department was fully crewed like six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful team of people. Uh, I apologize if I forgot anyone I'm trying to. I yeah. think that's everybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, it's not like, uh, I don't think they're all going to listen to it. So oh, they're going to listen. It's hidden here. <laughs> if you, if you missed anybody, I'm just get some um, angry texts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I feel like that, you know, that's probably a good sign if you have a, uh, a, a full crew already. Um, mm-hmm. so describe kind of, Okay, well, actually, let's start. Describe what is the what is the um, at least the pilot, or what is the plan for the show? Um, yeah, I know you're not the director, but um, you know from I, your I know, perspective, I know a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the punchline that's being thrown around is that it's a medieval action comedy. Um, so think in like the vein of like. Um, Dungeons and Dragons or like just like your classic like purebred fantasy realm um and then it's action cuz Aaron loves that like that like physicality that like that action aspect of of an adventure story but then it's mm-hmm. just also super funny um mm-hmm. so like the writers Nathan and and Josh are just super funny dudes and so it's it's very like tongue in cheek. Um, a lot of the jokes kind of hit like like Robin Hood Men in Tights or um, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like there's That's just what some, I was like, picturing, yeah, yeah, it's just some like funny bits. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of the, the the hope is to create a pilot episode, like a, the first forty minute, forty five minute episode of what would eventually be like an, an anthological series, anthological, anthe, anthe, a series of episodes. <laughs> um, oh, I triggered Siri with series. No, mm. <laughs> <Stop>. plural, <laughs> series plural. <laughs> a, a grouping of episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the hope that is looking not super realistic right now, but the hope is that we're making the first episode in its entirety, um, which just kind of it follows this main character. Um, well, I guess I'm excuse me if I'm wrong, but I think Theodonis is the main character, but there's kind of three really compelling main characters. Okay. Um, but basically it's uh, there's a fate or a um, like a, wizard who is notoriously really bad and so he is sent to this town called Milbank as punishment for just screwing up a bunch of like prophe- prophecies 
Okay. <laughs> and in this town, he starts to kind of mess with the status quo of the town because he is frustrated that he's uh, he's been such a failure and seeing other people so successful and admired bugs him. Mm-hmm. So he falsely prophesies um, in a way that um, switches the power dynamics in the city um, out of fear of the prophecy being true. Um, and so basically this like huge macho hero, Theodonis, who's just kind of like a Gaston character, ends up um, promoting his um, squire um, to the hero of Milbank. And so it's kind of this like very charming story of this like scrawny little kid who wants to be a hero someday becoming a hero immediately uh-huh. and having to learn how to defend Milbank. Um, okay. So is it, there's some layers and some twists that totally. I won't give away, but it's just kind of this like very charming, uh, like larger than life, ridiculous story with just like Nathan Johnson and Josh Lovato written all over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's truly one of the most fun scripts I've ever read. <laughs> yeah. The, um, I mean, all I can speak from is like the, the promo videos. Um, but I, I think you do get us, you get that feeling from the promo videos and the, um, that both the aesthetic and the, um, I think like thematically too, you're, you captured that really well with the, the promo videos. Like that's, that's very tangible, even from things like the font, um, the, the Mm -hmm. upwards lighting on the faces, like on on your video where you're working on the camera. Um, Yeah. So all that stuff stood out to me like right away. And I, I felt like I was put into that environment, um, pretty effectively. Um, Yeah. So I'm super excited. Yeah. It's going to be cool that, uh, for me, uh, it's not my genre, but Aaron's letting yeah. me make it my genre, which is exciting. Because like traditionally, when you think of these kind of stories, like um, Monty Python and um, like Princess Bride, like they're not nobody is like you know those movies look so cinematic, like those are yeah. crazy. Like nobody talks about that. And um, so when the idea, I was pitched the idea, I was kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we take the visuals really seriously? And that's (laughs) like a visual juxtaposition to the ridiculousness of the story. And then I like crossed Mm -hmm. my fingers and I was like, please let me have fun on this film. Please let me have fun on this film. And then they were like, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, yes. And even the promo video is kind of the first like chunk where I've gotten to do that, where I was like, okay, I'm going to light it dark and moody. And I'm going to like, I'm going to go with that. Like, um, there's like strong color contrast between like the blue light hitting the walls and like the warm light on the faces and that kind of stuff. So I'm honestly, it's been really funny. People really enjoyed the promo material and it was like Mm -hmm. four hours of us just sitting in the studio. I think I had like three lights up and, like the scripts were like mostly improvised on set. Yeah. Like, we're just kind of like, uh, yeah, I, uh, I this camera. <laughs> so we had fun. I've gotten more text messages about 
my performance in that video <laughs> than I have about anything else I've ever worked on. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> I had a professor text me um, and he said, you are really good in front of the camera, Adam. And I just, I text him back. I'm like, absolutely not, Davey. Do not get any ideas. I'm not acting in your next short film. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will not do it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, that reminds me. I mean, you know, obviously Jack has been, you know, on his journey of figuring out how he can work his way into the film world, but he keeps talking about like, he just keeps getting invited to act like to a bunch yeah. of different stuff. And he's like, that's not what I want to do, but I'm good at it. And I, it keeps happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of can see that though. you but it might have the your acting performance may have been because you're playing a like mastermind uh camera like guru <laughs> which is like yeah. kind of just what you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is my demeanor on set i i just, yeah yeah exactly I, like that <laughs> i just walk around and tell people they don't matter that's kind right. of my thing <laughs> okay <fair>. maybe <laughs> well, that, that is actually a little dramatic but yeah <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, it is a dramatis like dramatization of what the camera department kind of is, like, right? <laughs> because ultimately, um, I'll just, let me think of like the best way to say this: like, the camera department is the most, uh, like, ridiculously over-respected department on a film set, <laughs> where it's like the art department, like, crawled through trenches, like, dug out an entire like pit built a cave out of foam and then yeah. like like made every everything look real painted an entire mural and then like had to build swords during their lunch break right and like the camera department like screws on a monitor to the top and like <laughs> like presses some fancy buttons and everyone goes oh the camera department <laughs> and it's like it requires some technical prowess. Yes. But like you just move the camera around and then you tell the lighting people where to move the lights, which is a totally right. different department. And then you like the AC like pulls focus, which is like sort of hard, but if you practice it, it's not really that hard. And so like there are all these other departments that are working their butts off. And like, if camera asks for anything ever, it's just like immediately given to them. And then like yeah. the art department will be like, or like the sound department will be like, can we please ask those people to turn off the buzz saw that's like next door? <laughs> and everyone's like, sound, you're such a pain. And then like <laughs> the camera operator's like, it's kind of sunny over here. And they're like, quick, someone get something and block the sun. <laughs> so so yeah, we kind of played into that like reality of film sets, which is like, Usually the camera department are really nice people, but like they're just given disproportionate amount of respect for yeah. like compared to all these other people who are working crazy hard and like yeah. the camera department's working hard too, but not that much more than everybody else, if at all. Like it's probably equal or lesser. Right. But it's just like because cameras are scary, we get right. a, a ton of respect, I guess. I don't know. So we leaned into that when we were telling the bit it was just like acting like we don't need anybody else like right we're, we're perfect the way we are like we right, have right. everything we need <laughs> but yeah 
Which is cool because that, I mean, that calls back a little bit to that YouTube idea of like capturing what's going on behind, yeah. you know, behind the scenes, but you're, you're putting a creative twist on it. So that, I, yeah. I think that may be part of why that, that was a little bit of a, a hit, you know? Yeah. Also just like, uh, the we had like a while we were brainstorming a little bit there just like little things that people have been like that was super funny like uh johnny like reaches over to touch the camera and johnny was like you should slap my hand away <laughs> like I, I, people text me like when you slap his hand away that's so funny so yeah but yeah that, a- those little promo videos were super fun well, my yeah. professor laughed at me when he saw we were doing that because uh-huh. it was finals week of graduation like <laughs> like i went to the screening of all the films and then after it i was loading gear out from the equipment room and prof schmidt drives by and he rolls down his window and he's like what are you guys doing and really like, yeah we're shooting a promo video for a film yeah. <laughs> and he just laughs and rolls his window up and drives away he's like we're graduating in two days like what right. are you doing right <laughs> i love yeah. that um so the, I think the, um, kind of like those brainstorming conversations, that's a good segue to, mm-hmm. um, the other question I've been interested in, which is what does your creative process look like? Um, and what, like kind of what is creativity in your role? Um, where maybe you're, you're not as, um, story driven, like a, a director or a writer would be. Um, but obviously there's still creative decisions that need to be made. Uh, so what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I will, I'll speak mostly to my experience rather than a blanket statement for cinematographers. Yes, please do. Um, but I'll say, um, a a lot of the decisions I'm making are on set, um, decisions. And, and that's probably a lot to my style as a cinematographer more than maybe a lot of other cinematographers, because I know a lot of DPs will just like they plan meticulously every shot. I was on a film the other day with Graham where he had like created a 3D render of every shot of the movie with <laughs> lighting and movement. And uh-huh. so he was like, oh, it's this shot. And he just like scrolled through and plus press play. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I definitely make a lot of decisions on production. Um, but I will say like my involvement starts early and it's usually more as like a consulting role of just saying like hey you know when i read this i'm wondering what we're thinking because like it says this kind of like exterior day and forest are we thinking we're going to shoot this in a real forest are we going to shoot this like i'm usually kind of like a guiding hand early on at least that's the way i like to be Mm-hmm. And just thinking about rather than crafting the exact frames that we're wanting or upfront, I'm crafting an environment that's going to make it easy for us to get good images. So I'm thinking right. about the time of the day and the lighting and what kind of gear we're planning on bringing and what style we want to shoot each scene. So like that can kind of start helping making a visual language for the film that basically just creates the most opportune conditions to create the best images. Right. Um, so like something Aaron and I have found lately is we really like shooting action handheld and 
doing long takes of action handheld. Um, so like the, the more traditional way to shoot action is handheld, but it's to do like, okay, there's like this moment where he hits him. So let's like get the perfect shot of him hitting and then it'll just like hit cut. Like then there's like the up, like whatever. But what Aaron and I have found is that we really like to shoot like the whole action sequence in this like one flowing handheld movement. Yeah. And so when I read a scene that has action in it, I say, okay, like Aaron, I'm thinking we're probably going to want to shoot this with like a wider lens and with that, like those long handheld movements. So we need to find a location that has is beautiful in all directions. Like we can't just find a corner in a park that looks nice in one frame because right. we need to be able to look up right. and to the okay. right and down. And then also thinking like, okay, um, maybe if we can find a really pretty location that has nice light, we don't need to haul in a bunch of lights and set them up on generators. Like maybe that'll make it quicker. And then I'm also pairing that with the technical of saying like, okay, what cameras do we want to use for these sequences? Do we have, um, like, do we want to use the really big camera? Is that going to be too heavy for this kind of thing? Do we need the weight to to stabilize out the shake. So it's usually that process across the whole script where I'm like picking things out and saying like, okay, instantly I know we're going to need dollies a lot. So I need to come up with a plan for getting dollies to where we are. We're going to shoot a right. lot of handheld. And we basically, with the director, we create a visual language for the film that Sometimes it's designed literally just to justify things for convenience, which I've totally done. Where I've been like, yeah. oh, this makes sense. Like, the character is co having conflict right now, so this needs to be handheld. And yeah. the, the director is like, okay, sure. And I'm like, I don't want to holly dolly all the way up there. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's generally that, like, across the board saying, like, when uh, uh, one of my professors described it, like, you make up rules to justify why you're doing things the way you want to do them. And yeah. so it's saying like, okay, close-ups are when characters are feeling this way. Um, handheld is when they're feeling this way. Right. Um, this character, for whatever reason, you know, maybe this character is really isolated. So we always want to shoot them with like a super tight lens that just like blurs out the background a ton and just separates them from the environment, yeah. like that kind of stuff. So that's what we're doing upfront is kind of creating that. Yeah. That so, foundation. It, right. Um, so two things I'm, I'm noticing. The first, I like what you said about the um, kind of like visual language. Like, and, and I think that's, that's probably an easy way for most people to understand it is like, because um, you get that intuitively when you go to the theater and you see a movie and you're like, um, uh, you know, the better a movie is, the more quickly it's going to or the, the more intuitive it's visual languages, probably. Um, there's probably exceptions to that. I'm, I'm not qualified to make that statement, but um, just in general. <laughs> um, so I, I like that point. Um, but I, I also want to like uh, make an analogy to like a chef. That's what it sounds like to me. So you're kind of like, okay, I want to make sure we get all the right ingredients. I've got all the, you know, all the right um tools you know i've got my pots my pans my 
all that stuff. And then as you're, as you're cooking, you're like, oh, this could use a little bit of this or a little bit of this. So there's like Mm -hmm. the reactive part of it too. Um, But you can't necessarily plan the reactive part because the planning is all about just creating the, um, the environment, um, which I think that's, yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, I have this, there's this quote, I can't read it right now, but, um, I've been reading it on past episodes as well. Um, it's from a book titled the black swan by Nassim Taleb. Um, and he says, it's something like the tool for entrepreneurs and discoverers, and I would include creatives as well, uh, is not top-down planning, but maximum maximum tinkering. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of want to test that against your, like, your experience. Like, has it been more helpful when you're like nailed the environment um, in that kind of like, you know, preparation? Or mm. when you're, you're like, everyone feels comfortable to just like tinker and try new things um, and kind of see what comes out of that. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I will say there are cinematographers who love to plan a lot more than me, which I, I mentioned. Right. Um, but there's a real like beauty to creating an environment where everyone can tinker yeah and where like someone can just give you an idea like what if we did it like this and that usually is happening between me and the director um it's like oh what if we you know we're just like a little lower and then we push up or so we do some of that ahead of time there there is ideation of shots um right which is like the the director and i like had a long call and we were like basically just imagine the scene together and write down what the shots are um but yeah there's a like a real beauty to a production where you have the space and the time to tinker and to like just dial and nail it on the flip side of that coin my favorite thing about production is that it has time limits Mm. because infinite tinkering is like if you have any like perfectionistic bone in your body you'll never make what you want to make and so i think that honestly like uh, this is something aaron and i talk a lot about like the two of us uh, often the reason we get along so well is that we're not the best at our job but we are probably the most decisive at our job Mm. and so like i know like other cinematographers who are far more talented than me not even like industry people just like friends in the program or far more talented um but i think the strength that kind of has been a a real big like selling point for me is just that like when we have 15 minutes to get three shots and we need to like just need to rattle them off like i stop tinkering I stop asking people for their opinions and I just say like, put that light right there, like move this thing there. And then I'm just going to frame it up like this. We're going to roll for 12 seconds. I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to pan over and get that shot. Like I'm just, I'll just kind of like take charge of my department. And sometimes more depending on like the, 
like when I'm working with Aaron, Aaron and I have like a 30 second powwow and I just say, I think this is how we can do it. And then Aaron goes, okay, cool. Then I'm going to like adjust it like this. And then we'll just like go. But sometimes like depending on the director, it'll just be like, Hey, do you trust me? Like, I'll get you your shots. And they'll be like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, you get over here. You do that. Right, <laughs> just right. like, which I think is my strength. So there is that like, there, you want to create an environment where you can tinker as much as possible, but right. also sometimes the constraint is what ends up creating the thing that you're most excited about. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's not that, um, you, you don't always like, you want to create the most tinkering because obviously ultimately like they're going to be roadblocks that come on their own. Like you don't need to intentionally build in constraints. Right. But my like my films that I'm most excited about, like my favorites, are often the ones that were like the most rushed and ah. uh, the most uh, inopportune conditions where right. we fell behind or I didn't get a chance to dial the light. Right. Yeah. And and that that might be unique to me. Like maybe I'm just better under pressure. Like when I have uh -huh. more time, I make okay images. And when I have no time, I make great ones. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's got to be that push and pull between the two because okay. there's like a sweet spot where you have enough time to be creative, but not enough time to overthink. And that I think that's like really where I thrive. And that's part of why I hate editing is like, it's yeah. infinite time to make decisions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even if you have a strict deadline, like you could work two more hours on it and make right. a thousand more tiny little choices. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the, like, okay, I have like 30 minutes to get a shot. I had time to ideate and tinker and talk with my gaffer. But like, ultimately, at the end of those 30 minutes, we need to have recorded that shot already. And, and I like that. I think that is kind of like a, it's exciting. And it's also, I think, produces better pieces than if I just had three hours to get that shot in it. Totally. And yeah. I don't know if it would, it would be any better at the end of three hours, if not worse. Yeah, that's, that's insightful for sure. Um. I wish that we could push more into that. Um, unfortunately, I have a job, I, so you know, <laughs> yeah, gotta take care of business. But um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adam, thanks so much. I appreciate the time. Um, I'm super excited for um, whatever you've got, you know, in the works. Whether it's a YouTube channel or Milbank or, um, you know, once you can find an editor, editor at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, how can people like? um support or like follow what you're doing or anything like that yeah um if you want to support Mildank specifically um you can um visit Mildank fables on instagram um m-i-l-d-a-n-k you'll see like some flashy yellow fonts um and uh some ridiculous videos on there uh, the campaign's almost over. So by the time this YouTube channel or the hello, by the time this <laughs> podcast goes up, the donation window might be over. Um, but if you feel really compelled, send a message to the, to the Instagram account on Mildank and tell them you're interested in donating. Cause we are, um, we're as genius as our videos were, we're still <laughs> short funds that we would 
need to make the whole episode. So right. um, you can support there and follow that film specifically on that account. I'm sure they'll continue to post updates during production and let people know how they can see the film when it's done. Um, and then for me personally, um, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm going to post once every three years and probably yeah. not about film related <laughs> stuff, but what it will get you access to is the link to my website in my bio, which is generally updated with stills from the things I've been shooting. Um, and then uh, probably someday in the near future, my Instagram account will contain posts of the things I'm filming because it should, <laughs> I'm just hate post-production. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, if you're, if you feel so inclined to, to track with me and what I'm up to, those are probably the two best ways or follow my fiance on Instagram and you'll probably know more of what's going on in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably right. the best ways. Great. Thanks, Adam. Um, yeah. Lots of insight. Uh, and yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Braden.